welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Mai Ensman. Mai is the senior program planner at Cyber Florida, the Florida Center for Cybersecurity. Previously, Mai had worked as a program manager and trainer for international higher education programs and nonprofit and humanitarian organizations in the U.S. and across Europe, Africa, and Central Asia. Mai took an 11-year career break while raising her children in Belgium, Switzerland, and Ghana. She spent many hours folding laundry and listening to the 321i Relaunch podcast while planning her successful return to work. In this episode, Mai will share her tips for repatriating expats looking to re-enter the workforce and discuss why relaunchers should consider cybersecurity for their next career. Mai, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thanks, Carol. It's an honor to be here with you today. As you mentioned, I did spend many hours doing housework and listening to the podcast and thinking, oh my God, how am I ever going to be able to relaunch? And it is such a pleasure that I can be here today and speaking on the podcast. And hopefully I can share some tips and some encouragement to your listeners. I can't tell you how great it is for me to hear that, that that you listened to our podcast and it was helpful to you. And now here you are on the podcast talking about your relaunch success story. I, it, it's incredible. Uh, so I'm, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Um, can you start by telling our audience about your career path that led up to your career break and then what made you decide to take a career break? Sure. So I started my career in the Peace Corps as an English teacher in Kyrgyzstan right out of university. Um, From there, I received a master's in education from Harvard University and then worked with international programs at Brown University and the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So while I was on campus, I was involved with various campus safety programs, and that eventually led to working as the campus resource for sexual and domestic violence. And then eventually that led to me working as a law enforcement trainer. So I knew I always wanted to go back abroad. And so I was looking um, at humanitarian positions focused on gender-based violence. So this was a major career pivot for me and it was challenging. It took about two years of applying for various overseas positions, but I did find a consultancy with UNICEF and Chad. So um, this was my Mm. first time um, trying to do a career pivot and it taught me the importance of um, not getting discouraged and not giving up and to stick with it. So um, Mm -hmm. I uh, worked as a consultant with UNICEF and Chad and then decided to stay on uh, on a contract with a child protection agency. And there I met my Belgian husband who was working with Doctors Without Borders. So as our contracts ended, we decided um, to move to Brussels temporarily and start applying for other positions. And we decided that whoever got the Mm -hmm. first position, the other would follow. So he got the first position, and so I followed. So there um, we Mm -hmm. uh, went to Malawi. Um, He was with Doctors Without Borders again, and I was able to find a position as the director of a child protection program working with HIV-positive children. We got married. I became pregnant. And I had difficulties with that pregnancy. Um, So I was medically evacuated to South Africa. And fortunately the baby was fine, but I was strongly encouraged to leave Malawi. So um, Mm. we didn't necessarily have a home to go back to. So when we looked at our situation, we realized that Belgium would be the easiest option. 
So um, he already had an apartment. I had a European passport because my family's Estonian. So I left my contract early and settled into Brussels. And I mention all of this because when I got to Brussels, um, you know, we had the baby and decided to stay mm-hmm. on in Brussels, but I didn't have a job to go back to. Um, so I really became a stay-at-home mom by default. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I was fine with that because my mom had been a stay-at-home mom. So I was really looking forward to that. Um, and I really had enough on my plate, you know, new baby, new country, new languages. It was just overwhelming. So, um, yeah. but um, being a stay-at-home mom in Brussels was just a wonderful experience. Um, it's a very international city, so there's folks from all over the world who are um, there. Um, so I w- was involved with the Brussels Childbirth Trust, which is a parenting organization which provides prenatal classes and um, play groups throughout the city. So I really was able to throw myself into being a stay-at-home mom and um, make friends, and I felt very supported as a stay-at-home mom in Brussels. Um, I did. Yeah, I did plan to go back to work once my daughter started kindergarten at two and a half years old, but of course, oh, they start yeah, early, very early. That's so that was sort of like the plan. And I also, during that time, was looking at over just consultancies. So um, I did get an offer for a six-week consultancy in northern Uganda with the International Rescue Committee. And I remember when I got the offer, I asked my best friend, like. I don't know what to do now, now that I have this. And she said, well, mm-hmm. basically you're damned if you do or damned if you don't. If you don't go, then you're gonna feel resentful. And if you do go, mm. you're gonna feel like a bad mommy. So I decided to be the bad mommy and I went to Uganda and it was a great um, professional experience, but um, it was too long. And it cured me of applying for any more international consultancies. So um, my time as a stay-at-home mom lasted longer than I originally planned. My daughter went to kindergarten and then I was pregnant with my son. And so the plan then was, okay, so once my son starts kindergarten, then I can go. Um, and before my son- yeah, start- That's how career breaks last longer than people think, yes. right? And so yeah. before my son could go to kindergarten, then my husband um, moved us to Switzerland for a new job assignment. So um, in Switzerland, it wasn't feasible for me to go to work. My son was at home with me full time. My daughter's kinder, she went to a local kindergarten and it was part time. It was only in the mornings with two afternoon yeah. sessions. So the kids come home every day for lunch and then they go back to school. Um, we were also in a village, so there wasn't a lot of opportunity where we were. And I did make friends with um, some other international moms who were there, but it was isolating. I felt like I was kind of at home all the time, just dealing with childcare. Um, I did a lot of yoga, um, got myself certified as a yoga teacher. um, And um, then after three years in Switzerland, my husband was again assigned to another position and um, we moved to Accra, Ghana. Um, In Ghana then, I did not have work authorization. Mm-hmm. So um, I did apply for two jobs that were posted at the U.S. Embassy, but was not selected for those positions. So um, I decided then to kind of just stop any sort of job search and just um, enjoy uh, what was available there in Ghana. So I threw myself into volunteer work and I um, taught yoga at different studios across the Accra. 
Um, I was the director of humanitarian projects for the North American Women's Association. And I was also the co-leader for the Girl Scouts troop at my daughter's Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience living in Ghana. And um, but as all expat assignments come to an end, after almost four years in Ghana, then uh, we moved back to Belgium. Now in Belgium, um, you know, my kids were in school. I have a European passport, so I can work. And I was ready. I was like, okay, this time I'm going uh-huh. back to work. So that was my career break. Mike, can you tell me a little bit about? the strengths that expats bring to the workplace as employees uh, in general. And I'm thinking about this because you have spent many years as an expat yourself and you have met many of them in different communities. Sure. Um, I think that expats and trillion spouses that were incredibly resilient and adaptable, you know, change is our constant. Um, and I also believe that we are great at networking. So mm-hmm. I myself have been introvert, but mm-hmm. um, you need to network and to meet new people. It's a survival skill. So at because this point, you mean you're always in a new location. And so you have to like reestablish all of your relationships. Yeah. So everywhere that we've lived, um, I would join the local American women's organization because they were the greatest resource for information and assistance and support. You know, we don't have our families or our friends to help us. So you need to quickly network and find people that you can connect with, um, but then also who could, you know, provide assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, expats also have amazing logistical skills. Um, I've coordinated so many moves over the years and handled all the logistics of closing up shop in one location and then resettling into a new home and new schools and activities. And so far, I haven't lost a suitcase or a shipment or a child or a dog yet. So somehow we're doing it right. And the other thing that I think that we bring is that we're able to reinvent ourselves. And I think this is a huge skill that, you know, as life changes, that we're able to take on new challenges and reinvent ourselves every few years. Mm-hmm. And it just shows our really resiliency and our adaptability. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was just thinking about, you know, there's all this focus on supply chain now, which is very logistics oriented. I'm thinking, hmm, would that be an interesting match for uh, someone who had moved around a lot or been an expat to to put that skill for, forth as, um, as a, a transferable skill relevant to that field? Um, but one thing, Mai, that you mentioned, I just want to ask you an additional question about, you mentioned being an introvert, and I wanted to know if you could comment on the relaunch journey as an introvert and how you push yourself to get out of your comfort zone and, and do some things that, that um, might, might feel just awkward or uncomfortable in order to move forward in your job search. Recognizing that it may feel awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> to meet new yeah. people and to go to networking events and to tell your story and um, yeah, it, it doesn't feel comfortable. It's, just, it's not normal or natural for me, but it's something that I've pushed myself and realizing that, okay, we've got to do this. Let's mm-hmm. go. Um, mm-hmm. And just sitting with that discomfort and recognizing that, um, you know, there's other people that are also in your same boat. Right. Well, we have plenty of introverts in 
in general, and also, of course, in the relauncher community. And there are some people who work on their relaunch through their writing skills and and use that uh, as as a way to to network, uh, especially now that we're in a virtual world and and we're doing a lot online and and on LinkedIn, even in like the comments section. Uh, so, I, but I always like to highlight when someone says they're an introvert, uh, just how they um, they manage because we get that question a lot and and they're. The introvert community is is large, so it's it's really relevant to hear your comments about that. Thank you. Um, just to uh, focus on something you said, I was ready, and I can even see by the way you're saying that uh, that that readiness piece is can be kind of elusive. And you're like, "Am I ready? Am I not ready? Am I thinking about everything?" But um, when we have relaunchers who are in that phase, they're usually still questioning a lot, but when they come back to us and say, I am so ready, then you know that it's really time. And it sounds like you knew that that you had that moment. I was ready when we were in Ghana. Um, I was, Ah. and Mm -hmm. I remember um, watching one of my daughter's swim meets and I was sitting next to a friend of mine who had previously worked as a journalist back in her home country. And we were looking, you know, at all the moms who were assembled there by the pool she turned to me, she's like, God, just look at this place. It's like the graveyard of ambition. <laughs> and this just, wow. it just what, a, what an interesting comment. It just hit me as like a punch to the gut. It was like, yeah, you know, all these moms, none of us who are working full time. Um, and if you would ask these women, they could give you a full list of all of their previous professional accomplishments. It's just that, mm-hmm. you know, in our circumstances as trailing spouses, we weren't working. So here we were supporting our kids, you know, doing the community work. Yes. The great enablers. Um, uh, uh, that's, that's what uh, we call Vivian and I called it in back on the career track when we wrote our book that came out back in, in 2007. Um, but wow, the graveyard of ambition. And, you know, this is why employers are now all these years later, recognizing that we are this hidden pool of great talent because we left the workforce for reasons that had nothing to do with our work performance. And as you said, around that pool, everyone could talk about, you you know, every person could list all their professional success and and their skill sets. um, And the circumstances just didn't allow them to be working at that time. Um, Before we move on to um, details about how you actually did relaunch your career, I just have one question for you about being an expat. And can you give any kind of commentary um, to people who might be considering an expat experience um, about some of the challenges. Now you had an unusual situation because you also had a European passport. So even when you were in Europe, you you had a work permit essentially. Whereas some people, like if they're coming from the US, they have no option of working um, except maybe at the embassy. It's because that's like, like let's say they come from the U.S., that's like technically U.S. soil, so they can actually work at the embassy. Is that pretty much what you're limited to? Pretty much, yeah. Ah, um, okay. Now some expats um, they do find uh, they do get visa work visas for their spouses, but um, I would say the majority um, don't. Um, mm-hmm. So for those who are you know the great enablers, the trailing spouses, um, 
you know, it can be jarring when you all of a sudden are stripped from your professional life and mm -hmm. you lose your status. Um, you know, when you meet someone at a party, the first thing they ask you is, what do you do? And all of a sudden you don't have an answer for that anymore. Um, so um, I guess one thing that helped me was just knowing, realizing that this was just a, a phase in my life. Mm -hmm. This was not going to be forever. I knew, I mean, in the beginning it was like, okay, well, young children, I, there was a, a, you know, a date at the age of two and a half, you're back, you're in school and I can start. So it helped me to kind of put it in context. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for me in Brussels, um, there was such a large community of other expatriate moms that I did feel supported. I wasn't alone. Um, in Ghana, you know, again, most of us realized this was not going to be for the rest of our lives. This was just a limited term. So um, it, it is easy for, you know, ex, you know, trailing spouses to get resentful or to get depressed. But for me, I was like, you know, this is take this opportunity to reinvent yourself, ah. you know, focus on activities that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I took some online courses. I threw, like I said, I threw myself into volunteer work. So I did keep myself active, even though I wasn't getting paid for any of the work that I was doing. And, and when you were taking those courses and doing that volunteer work, did that um, allow you to discover something that you might have been interested in doing later? Or did it reinforce like earlier choices you had made? And did that impact at all what you decided to look for when you were relaunching? Uh, it reinforced my previous career choices. Um, you know, working mm -hmm. as uh, the leader for our humanitarian projects for the North American Women's Association was such, you know, it was really great. Um, we were able to provide grants to small local um, organizations that were helping women and children um, around Accra and across Ghana. Um, and then also working as a yoga teacher, it was just fun. <laughs> and it was great because I was able to create my own community. Um, and um, then working as a Girl Scout leader, you know, I, I loved um, when I was teaching back in the Peace Corps. So it was fun to be, you know, a group leader again. Um, so uh, it also helped just keeping me sort of like fresh and um, up to date as far as, you know, having to organize, you know, our humanitarian projects. So it did provide me um, an avenue to keep updated as far as have my professional skills. Which is super important. And as we're now transitioning to when I want to ask you about how you actually got your first job when you relaunched and, and in some detail. So when you moved to return to Belgium and were getting ready, you said you were really ready. How did you actually navigate your relaunch? Like, can you give us some of the details of, of how it happened and, and what you ended up doing? Sure. Um, I have to say that it was quite daunting. Like, I mentioned earlier, I was more than ready to get back to work. Um, so I started by doing my research. I looked for local resources. Um, and then I also looked online for resources. That's how I found I relaunch. So I spent a lot of time right. um, listening to podcasts and reading up about career relaunching and um, career changing. Um, local resources, I didn't see um, a good fit for me. So there were resources for new immigrants to the country, but I obviously was not an immigrant to Belgium. Um, 
And right. um, then there were resources for, let's say, local professionals, um, mostly young professionals who are hoping to, you know, break into the workforce. But again, that wasn't necessarily a good fit for someone like me, you know, an older mom who is looking to relaunch into a new country. So, um, and the more I learned um, listening to the podcast and researching online, I realized I really needed some more help. Um, so I wanted professional help. Um, you know, it was very scary to try to relaunch in yeah. Brussels. Um, Brussels is the capital of the European Union. So you have the best and the brightest from across Europe working and job searching in Brussels. Um, most of these people have multiple degrees, speak multiple languages. And here I was after not working for 11 years and having never worked in Europe, um, going trying to compete for jobs with these professionals. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to need a team to help me with this. So I decided I wanted to um, work with a career coach, but not just any career coach. I wanted someone who could not just give me the skills that I needed and could guide me, but also someone who understood my experiences. So um, I wanted someone who herself was an expat, someone who was a mom, and someone who had you know, been there, done that. So mm -hmm. I'm lucky I did find a wonderful career coach, Dorothy Dalton. And um, she was able to help me not just, um, you know, provide me with, you know, okay, let's rework your LinkedIn, let's rework your resume. But she also helped me to craft a narrative. Um, as far mm -hmm. as you know, you know, all that you've been doing, how do we put this together into a coherent story that you can then sell to employers? Um, and so that was really um, wonderful. She was able to help me show that there's a way that you can speak about your experiences in a positive light instead of as a liability. Um, and I was also able to leverage her professional community, which is, you know, moving back to Brussels, since I'd never worked in Brussels, I didn't have a network. I still had a few girlfriends who are still there in Brussels, but I didn't have an extensive professional network. And so right. I was able to use my career coaches network um, to find then positions. So um, Dorothy then um, introduced me to one of her colleagues um, and I was working then as a volunteer at her consultancy firm. And then Dorothy also let me know about a position um, with the Digital Leadership Institute. Um, and that led to my first full-time job back. Okay. So my, I just want to clarify that progression again. So tell me what happened first with your career coach. And then you got introduced to her friend. Is that, and the, your, the friend was running an organization. Yes. Um, so um, Dorothy then introduced me to one of her professional colleagues and she took me on as a volunteer for her consultancy firm. And then later Dorothy um, learned about a, position at the Digital Leadership Institute. And so she introduced me then to her colleague who is the director of that agency. And that is what led to my first um, paid job. Oh, wow. That's that's terrific. And it just shows you um, even like sometimes people say, I don't have a network. I'm in a brand new place. They'll say even within the US, I'm now in a new city and I don't have a network here. And we usually say, still tap your network in the other location. But in this case, when when you're in, in a new country, you 
kind of piggybacked on the network of your of your career coach, which is an interesting strategy. We, we don't hear that that often. Um, so then fast forward to you ended up having to relocate again to the U.S., right? And I don't know after how many years. And can you tell us a little bit about um, essentially the second relaunch and especially how you ended up getting into cybersecurity? Okay, sure. So um, I'm just going to speak a little bit about the work that I did at the Digital Leadership Institute, because that's what led to the cybersecurity. Um, Great. So I was hired on, um, it was a contract position. I was hired on to be a training coordinator. Um, and I developed a um, training program for women who are looking to get back to work in the tech sector. So oh, um, yeah, it was a really great fit for me. Um, but of course, I don't come from a technical background. So I had to throw myself into learning everything I could <laughs> during those first you know, weeks and months. But again, you know, I was so excited to be back at work that I was you know, giddy and I would spend all these hours and even weekends learning as much as I could. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. remember myself, you know, going to work in the morning and dropping off the kids. And I had a nice new briefcase that I just bought and how it felt to get back mm-hmm. on the metro to, you know, go to work with other adults. Yeah. Let me let me just interject there for a second, because this is a comment we hear consistently from employers. And I remember myself when I relaunched when I was uh, I was a financial analyst. And when I went back to work after my 11 year career, like, I remember those early days. I was so excited to be there. And our employers will say, wow, relaunchers are so thrilled to be at work every day. They really inject this enthusiasm into our work team. So uh, I love how your example it, it just underscores that, that once again. So, so you did that work. You were, you were like immersing yourself in uh, the technical piece of it. And what happened after that? Um, and cybersecurity was one of the topics that our agency did um, work on. So um, the Digital Leadership Institute focused on advocating for the greater participation of girls and women in the tech sector. But also mm-hmm. um, we were invited to speak about the issues of cyber violence and online harassment. And I then um, eventually um, was one of the co-leads for a week-long workshop with the Council of Europe in Strasbourg, France, on the issues of cyber violence and cybersecurity and online safety. And so the more I learned about cybersecurity, the more I enjoyed it and I was hooked and I found it fascinating. And so I knew that, you know, eventually I'd like to work in the cybersecurity realm. Mm -hmm. So the contract that I was working on came to an end. And so it was at that time that we decided as a family that we wanted to relocate to the U.S., it's something that we had always talked about, um, and now this seemed like it was a good point to do it. Um, you know, my parents' health um, was not doing, they weren't doing as well, and so I really wanted to be back home and closer to them. And now back home is down south, um, so everyone lives in the south for some reason, even though we're not originally from the south. Um, and so Atlanta became um, the destination of choice. And then once we moved to Atlanta, I started job searching and um, I started applying for jobs at various universities around Atlanta. So Georgia Tech, Emory University, Agnes Scott College. Fortunately, after just a couple of months, I did find a position at the evidence-based cybersecurity research group at Georgia State University. So wow. I was delighted that I was back in higher education and then also working still within the cybersecurity realm. That is incredible. Okay, so you're so you're in this role. Did the role itself require technical knowledge of cybersecurity, and then did you have to take courses, or like 
what happened there? Um, that role did not require technical knowledge. Now, I know enough about cybersecurity that um, terms are familiar. I can, you know, talk the talk. And so I was able to support the work of the professors and the researchers at the university. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward three years, and I'm now uh, the senior program planner at Cyber Florida, which is the Florida Center for Cybersecurity at um, University of South Florida. Now, fortunately, all the work that we're doing is remote, um, so I only travel to Tampa as needed. But again, the work that I'm doing now at Cyber Florida, I'm supporting the um, education programs at Cyber Florida. So again, um, it's not necessary to have a deep technical knowledge about cybersecurity. You're focusing more on how cybersecurity is taught at at different at the university level, or now is it at different grade levels like K through twelve? I specifically am not involved with the K through 12 program. So mostly university and um, then also our um, workforce development programs for professionals. Well, wait a minute, Mai, I probably shouldn't say that because like who's, who's teaching cybersecurity to kindergartners? There are um, staff um, at Cyber Florida that are working with our K through 12 um, education program. So um, wow. to bring okay, so it wasn't so far fetched. No, I, brought that up. I mean, they're, they're okay. introducing cybersecurity into the curriculum. Interesting. Wow. So maybe a kindergartner might have heard some of the, the terms or the language and starting to get familiar with um, our acronyms. So that's very interesting. Um, so let me just go back to one detail. So when you ended up with the cybersecurity job in Florida, how did that happen? Again, um, I just applied online. And I know that, you know, most people say, you know, use your network. But the position yeah. that I found at Georgia State University, it was a job I applied for online. And the job at Cyber Florida, same thing. So sometimes you do get lucky. Mm-hmm. And well, and also the particular skill set that you have is pretty unique. So, you, you know, occasionally people do actually get hired by applying online and then going through what would be a totally almost textbook process without doing all the additional um, uh, networking that's recommended. So, so that's pretty interesting, but you've really had both experiences. You've had one where you really needed to use a network and you've had two now where you then, then you almost were not a relauncher anymore in the classic sense because you had started working again. So you didn't really have the prolonged career break. You were mainly changing jobs because you were in a new location. So can you tell us a little bit more detail about Cyber Florida itself? Um, so what kind of training opportunities do they offer? And I think you told me earlier that they offer training opportunities for relaunchers. Can you tell our, our audience a little bit about that? Sure. So um, Cyber Florida is currently recruiting for our um, CyberWorks program. It's our workforce development program which is free of cost for Florida residents. It's a 12-week intensive online course which prepares students to enter the cybersecurity workforce as a Tier 1 Security Operations Center, or SOC, analyst. Uh, Students who complete our program then will receive a voucher to take a CompTIA certification exam. So um, again, currently we're recruiting um, Florida residents and we're looking at specific populations. So um, there's preference for transitioning um, military veterans and first responders and career changers from historically underrepresented groups. So including Mm -hmm. 
women, people of color, and people with disabilities. And the course itself, so I'm actually a Florida resident. So let's say I, I registered for this course and I really have no background at all. Does it start from the standpoint of someone who is truly a beginner or do you, does it assume some sort of uh, prerequisite or preliminary work? So um, we will be providing some coursework before the um, cybersecurity portion begins so that people can get familiarized with um, the technology before the official program starts on January 22nd. All right. So my, just to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly, does, do people need to have a technical background in order to enroll in the cyber course? No. Um, we will be accepting people who do not have a strictly technical background. Um, and Cyber Florida will provide an introductory course before the um, cyber portion begins for those who don't come from a more technical background. Okay, so you're saying that when you take this course, it's actually in preparation for taking a specific exam. And is that a certain kind of credential? And what is that credential? And how, how hard is it to take the exam? Like, do people have to take it multiple times in order to pass? Uh, the course will properly prepare someone to take um, an entry-level cybersecurity certification exam. So we are offering um, our um, students the um, choice of either taking the CompTIA Sec Plus exam or the CompTIA Cybersecurity Analyst or CISA Plus exam. And these are both considered more or less your entry-level cybersecurity examinations and certifications. And then once you have, you've passed the exam, what kind of jobs do people go on to get after that? So this would prepare folks to um, become SOC analysts. Um, so working at a security operations center at a company. Um, so SOC means security operations center. center. Yes. Okay. I see. And so like what kinds of companies have a, a security operations center, like all different kinds of companies or is a specific Specific yeah, I mean, for sure, your larger companies will have a designated SOC. Um, and I also wanted to mention that our program also provides um, career um, advisement. Um, and so we'll have guest speakers come in, different human resources um, officers speak to the students to help them prepare their um, resumes and LinkedIn profiles and um, to help coach them on how to um, go through a technical interview. It seems to me that there's probably pretty heavy demand for people with this skill set. And I'm guessing that the placement rate is pretty high. Any comments on that? Or do you not track that part of it? We do track that part of it. Um, it can be somewhat challenging placing an entry-level person into a company. And so we do work closely with our industry partners in Tampa and across Florida to help with that transition and to help um, place our students in their companies. Got it. And and is this, is Florida like a leader here or are there counterpart organizations in other states too? I don't know of another state that has um, an agency quite like Cyber Florida, where we are the statewide resource for cybersecurity, where we work on education, outreach, and research. Um, and so our goal is to make Florida the preeminent state um, for cybersecurity in the nation. Mm. 
Very interesting. Um, my, I, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests uh, because we are wrapping up now. And I want to know if you can can give your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about before. Um, well, just to keep it simple, I would say don't give up and don't get discouraged. Um, it may take longer than you expected to relaunch. Um, and to own your story and be proud of all of your experiences and all the amazing skills that you have to offer. And to also never be afraid to take on new challenges and to reinvent yourself. Those are excellent pieces of advice. I hope everyone was listening closely. Um, can you give our audience information, especially those who are Florida residents, um, about Cyber Florida? Like, how can they find out more about it? Is there a website or some other place where they can get information? Sure. Um, so you would go to cyberflorida.org. That's spelled out as one word. And if you were interested in our workforce development program, you would look underneath the education tab and you would find information about our CyberWorks program. And we will be launching a new program starting in January, but there will be new cohorts starting in the summer and also in the fall of 2022. So you're running this program on a regular basis at different times of the year? Yes. Great. All right. Well, super interesting. I'm going to have to explore this myself since I am newly a Florida resident. My, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking with you today. And it was great speaking with you, hearing about your relaunch story and also learning all about Cyber Florida. And thanks for listening to the 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.